0: that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your sacred word. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that it contains. We thank you, Lord, because these words are yours. Lord, we love and cherish them simply because they come from you. Oh Lord, we pray that you would apply these words to our hearts this morning. Open our hearts to receive them. Teach each one of us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said... Amen. You know, Easter is such a wonderful time, isn't it? I mean, the, the cold winter has given way to spring, and as we drive up and down the road, we see that the yards are, are changing colors. That cold, dead shade of brown has given its way to, to living, beautiful shades of green. Of course, that reminds us about the lawnmowers, though, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, There's uh, trees that are budding. There's new and fresh sounds in the air that we haven't heard for many months, sounds of various birds that are beginning to come back. Uh, Windows are beginning to become opened. And that fresh scent, that spring scent, is beginning to come into our homes. And that's not to mention the Easter egg hunts, right? Everybody make it to their Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Easter, Easter bunnies, chocolate Easter bunnies, jelly beans, all that stuff. Um, you know, all that stuff is wonderful. And all of that stuff has its place. But as believers in Christ, we realize that uh, that's not really what Easter is about, is it? Not really. Again, it has its place. But it's not what Easter is about. If we were to summarize Easter with one word, I think maybe one of the best words we could come up with would be the word resurrection. And if we were to summarize Easter with a phrase, then I suppose the phrase the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be the phrase to use, would it not? Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as it is as it is told to us in the gospel message. And that's the subject of this morning's of this morning's message. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we have it in the Gospel message. Now, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is here addressing a number of critical points, a number of crucial points. In fact, um, really, the the church in Corinth is a mess, isn't it? Uh, We see as we thumb through the pages, we see there's division in the church, actually deep division. Uh, we see that uh, uh, there's sexual immorality in chapter 5 that's taking place. Um, we see that there's lawsuits taking place against believers. Uh, believers are actually taking uh, believers to court. Uh, they're suing one another. Uh, we see abuses of the Lord's table being uh, taking place. And Paul even has to defend his apostolic authority, doesn't he? So we see this. Church in Corinth is indeed uh, quite a mess, and uh, the answer to all of these problems is repentance that comes from the gospel. You know, the gospel applies to each one of these problems. That's what we need to see this morning. And Paul has been making reference to the gospel. In chapter one and verse 17, he comments on the power of the gospel. He writes these words, he says, "'For Christ did not send me to baptize, But to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Here he's speaking of the the power of the gospel. And in chapter 4, verse 15, Paul speaks of the transformation of the gospel. He says, uh, For though you have countless guides in Christ... You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And we see the transforming power of the gospels. It's, it's the gospel that transforms us from children of the world to children of God. That's the only way that these folks could have become sons and daughters of the apostle Paul. He says you have countless guides, but you don't have many fathers. But he became their father. Through the gospel. This can only take place by that transforming grace. And in chapter 9, Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, with these thoughts in mind, we come to the first verse of our text. If you look at chapter 15 and verse 1 with me, Paul writes, now I would remind you, brothers, and that is to include sisters there, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now, there are three things going on here, aren't there? They're pretty easy to pick out. The believers at Corinth have received the gospel. That means that they heard the gospel. Paul preached it to them. They heard it. They heard the ingredients of the gospel. Uh, They understood it. They mentally assented to it. And thirdly, they're trusting in it. That's what is meant by receiving it. They've heard it. They believe it. They're trusting in it. And then Paul says that they are standing on the gospel. What does it mean to stand on the gospel? The 19th century Greek scholar Thayer says that it's to be of a steadfast mind. It means that, okay, the gospel is what I'm going to cling to. The gospel is is going to be that, that new principle that's in my life, that's moving my heart, it's moving my actions, it's governing everything that I do now. Now that I've heard it, now that I believe it, now that I'm trusting in it, I will stand on it. I will stand on it. And thirdly, Paul says that they're being saved by the gospel. They're being saved by it. Now, it's important as as I say these things, it's important that we understand that it's not the gospel by itself that saves us. It's God working through the gospel message that saves us. God is indeed saving us by way of His Holy Spirit as He opens our hearts to receive the gospel. As He opens up our minds to understand the gospel. Uh, Has He opened up your mind? to receive it, to stand on it, to be saved by it. And if we move to verse 3, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Uh, I I think of all of the words in our text, uh, two of the words that struck me the most in preparation for this morning were the words first importance. First importance. Importance. Paul says, I I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Clearly, Paul is talking about the gospel. What is he saying about the gospel? He's saying that the gospel is first importance. It's not secondary. It's not tertiary. It's not fourth in a line. It's not fifth in a line. It's not sixth in a line. It's first in line. And we need a constant reminder of this, don't we? I mean, this is such an important message for us because left to our own, each one of us, myself included, we have a tendency to want to make other things first. And a lot of times these things are good things. And I think most of the time we don't even realize we're doing it. And then we wake up one day and we say, you know something, the gospel's not first anymore. It's not first. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, this is of first importance here. This is of first importance. We need a constant reminder that this is of first importance. Donald and I had a conversation at breakfast this morning about a church that had the gospel's first importance. and became a mighty church. And then something happened and it seemed that the gospel wasn't of first importance any longer. And now it's fragmented and half of what it used to be. It was a mighty church when the gospel was of first, first importance. This is such an important message uh, to us. You know, a couple of years ago, some of you have heard this story. I was teaching a homiletics class at the seminary up in Pittsburgh, and uh, homiletics is just a $10 word for preaching. I was teaching, uh, uh, teaching folks how to preach. And in this one particular class, I said to everybody, I said, listen, I don't care if you get up there and speak like Cicero. If you do not preach the gospel, if there's no gospel in your message, your grade is going to reflect it. I'm going to, I'm just, I want everyone to understand this. Please, I, I'm going to say this three times. If there's no gospel in your sermon, you are not going to do well in this class. I promise you that. I said that three times. Why did I emphasize that? Because there's a school of thought, even in conservative and reformed circles, there's a school of thought that thinks that we need the gospel in order to enter into a state of salvation. And then once we're in a state of grace, we no longer need the gospel. The gospel is just for evangelistic efforts. We don't need to preach the gospel to people who are already in a state of grace. Well, let me remind you of what Paul is doing here. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to people who have received the gospel. He's speaking to people who are standing on the gospel. He's speaking to people who are being saved by the gospel. He's speaking at a time when the church is a mess. And what is he doing? He's applying the gospel to the mess. This is just one place of many where we can, we can easily defend, listen, we need to hear the gospel every Lord's day. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. As we gather here this morning, the gospel is to be of first importance. I wrote some lyrics for a song that's entitled of first importance. They kind of came to me as I was, as I was meditating on this this week. And they go like this. Where are your priorities? What are your needs? Is it where you'll spend eternity? Do you ever stop to think about where this is all headed? What will be required of you when your life is ended? Deep down we all know before His throne we must go. Before the Lord with an answer, how will yours go? The good news is that Christ came to die and be buried. To Him went the shame. On the third day, he rose to give us hope so that our answer will this way go. Of first importance is his performance. He lived a life that you and I could never live. He will require of you just one thing, that you let go of yourself and place your trust in him. What is of first importance? What could that be? Trusting in Jesus as he has offered to you and me. This has to be of first importance. Of first importance. It must be of first importance. And Paul is masterly applying the gospel. Now, in the church, we talk about the gospel a lot. And I've been talking about the gospel a lot. And I've been saying the gospel is of first importance. But what is the gospel? What is it? that's really an important question because I can remember trying to answer that question. I can remember very early on in my walk with Christ thinking to myself, okay, uh, I understand that I should be sharing the gospel. What is it that I should be saying? And I remember asking pastors and asking people of the faith, I'd say, tell me, what is the gospel? And oh, what a collection of answers I got. Oh, what a collection of answers I got. In a very short period of time, I came to the conclusion that people don't know what the gospel is. It's one of those things that we understand, we all know, but we don't. And most of the time when we think we're sharing the gospel, I submit to you that we're not sharing the gospel. For starters, the gospel is not your personal testimony. There's a place for your personal testimony. Don't, Don't let that go. Your personal testimony is important. Paul shares his personal testimony in Acts a couple of times. There's a place for our personal testimony. But after we've shared our personal testimony, don't think that you've shared the gospel. You haven't. Not if all you shared was your personal testimony. Yeah, The the idea of looking to Jesus. Sometimes we'll tell folks, listen, you just need to look to Jesus. And we'll go away thinking, well, I shared the gospel. If that's all you said was look to Jesus, that's important. That's an important message, and don't let go of that. Continue to point people to Jesus but you haven't shared the gospel. As important as that is, that's not the gospel. And sometimes we can't think of anything to say, we say, well, you know, things go better for you when you're with Christ, you know and uh, listen that that's that's right, that's correct. But that's not the gospel. You say, well, what is the gospel? The good news is Paul is very, very clear here in verses 3 and 4 to tell us what the gospel message is in its most basic form. If you look at verses 3 and 4 with me, he says, For I delivered to you as what? Of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. You see that? That's the first part. Christ died for our sins. In a lot of our gospel presentations, we're probably talking about that. Christ died on the cross. First sins. Yes, it's the first part, isn't it? In accordance with the scriptures. I don't know that we're as faithful as sharing that, though. We'll talk about Jesus dying on the cross. And a lot of times, as we speak about Jesus dying on the cross, we do so, it's like it's in a vacuum. Like just all out at once, Jesus comes out of nowhere and he dies on the cross. That's not, the, that's not, that's not quite right, is it? This is a plan, it's eternal and at in the fullness of time Jesus came he was born of the woman and uh, by his circumcision was placed, placed under the burden of the law and he lived that perfect life in accordance with the law and he died on the cross so that when he dies on the cross it is in accordance with the scriptures we need to think that through and work that into our presentations jesus died in accordance with the scriptures not out of a vacuum the second thing is that he was buried. I mean, this shows he was, he was really dead. Uh, he was buried. He was placed in a tomb. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This morning in our sunrise service, our sunrise service this morning was really a liturgical service where uh, we read passages of Scripture. We sang... Uh, songs that went with the passage of Scripture that we sang, and we told the whole story from uh, Christ's suffering to His second coming. Uh, We did it by way of Scripture reading and song, Scripture reading and song, Scripture reading and song. And And, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do this morning, last year we looked primarily at the Gospel of John, and we read several chapters of John, but this morning I wanted to bring some continuity between this Service and the sunrise service by pointing to a number of Old Testament passages. Because uh, at the time Paul's writing, uh, there is no New Testament. When he says according to the Scriptures, he's pointing to the Old, what we would call the Old Testament. And all of this is in the Old Testament. If you know where to look, you'll begin to see it. And I wanted us to begin to see that, that all of this was in accordance with the Scriptures. So we have four things here. Four points here that uh, we need to understand uh, with the Gospel in its most basic form. C- Christ died, right? According to the Scriptures. He was buried. Um, he, was, uh, he was raised. What's the fourth? He appeared. You see that in verse 4? He appeared. Or verse 5, I'm sorry. He appeared. in verses 5 through 8, actually, cover this appearance you see he appeared to cephas then that is peter he appeared to the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive paul was probably writing around 53 54 55 ad right in that area about 20 years after the resurrection of jesus after these appearances and there were still a lot of people who saw him a lot of them Of the 500 people that saw him were still alive. What Paul was saying, listen, go check it out. Go find one of them. Talk to them about it. They will tell you. And when we look at this, we clearly see that Paul is emphasizing the resurrection, isn't he? I mean, he spends a couple of verses talking about Jesus dying, Jesus being buried, Jesus being raised. I mean, once he starts talking about Jesus being raised, then he talks about Jesus appearing. And all the people that he appeared to. He appears to Peter. He appears to the 12. He appears to more than 500 people. He appears to James. And Paul says, lastly, he's appeared to me. He's alive. He has risen. What is the significance of this? That's what I want to conclude with. Why is the resurrection so important? If someone were to come up to one of you and say, you know, uh, you go to church, don't you? Tell me, what's the fuss over the resurrection? Why is it so important? What would you say? Historically, we have said four things. There are four things that, that, that really show why this is so important. And the first of them is that the resurrection, it validates all that Jesus claimed and taught, doesn't it? It proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Who did Jesus claim to be? He claimed to be God. That's, that's why they killed him. They killed him. The charge that he was arrested and, and, and sentenced under was the charge of blasphemy. He claimed to be God. Did Jesus claim to be God? Absolutely he claimed to be God. He ran around telling people that their sins were forgiven. Who can forgive sins except for God. He would make statements like, listen, before Abraham was, I am. Clearly a reference to uh, the name that that God gives to Moses at the burning bush. He would say, listen, I and the Father are one. He would refer to God as His Father, implying that He was the Son. He would say that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, over and over again, throughout the New Testament, throughout His ministry, He made claims to be God. What does the resurrection prove? Proves that He was God. Proves that He's the Savior of the world. Second thing, it proves that it's finished. One of the last things Jesus says as He's dying on the cross is that it's finished. In other words, believers are justified. the resurrection proves it. I mean, God's wrath is hardly mentioned anymore. So this part of the gospel is often neglected. You know, we'll talk about Jesus being on the cross, but we don't talk about his wrath. Well, what is Jesus doing on the cross? Why is he in such agony? Why is he suffering there? It's unimaginable if we think about it. He's suffering because he's enduring the very wrath of God. God. He's enduring the penalty that you and I should be enduring. We really have the wrong idea of sin. We, we think of sin in different degrees, and we're right to do so, but we think of the sin of others as being worse than our own personal sin. But let's look at, look, look at the cross of Christ. What's going on there? The wrath of God is being executed, even for things that we would think are insignificant. They're significant to God. And Jesus is enduring the wrath. What does the resurrection prove? It's so important. It proves that the father was satisfied with the death of Christ. It does prove that it was finished. Acts chapter 2 and verse 24 says that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus was without sin. Death had to let him go. He was the perfect sacrifice. The Lamb without blemish. Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in a power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. It proves that it is finished, doesn't it? This is so important for us because sometimes we can walk along, we, we, can, we can receive Christ but we can still feel guilty over our sins and we can still feel that guilt and we still feel that shame. I think sometimes for us, for me, I know, it took me a long time to shake that. We've got to meditate on this aspect of the resurrection. It has to be applied to our hearts. It's finished, you, you see. What's finished? The guilt, the shame for what you've done, if you're in Christ, that's all taken care of. You gotta understand that's all finished. Well, how can I know it's finished? I don't feel like it's finished. It doesn't make no difference how you feel. That's, that's important, but it's irrelevant in terms of God's tribunal. In terms of God's court, he dealt with that. That's the good news, you see. You look to the cross. God dealt with that. Could put, that put that at the cross. Put that where it goes. It's dealt with. Thirdly, this is so wonderful. It doesn't take much time to, to develop this third one. It, it, the resurrection proves that Jesus is alive, doesn't it? We're not gathered around here to serve a dead Savior. Are we? The cross is empty. There's nobody on it. The tomb is empty. Jesus is not in it. He's alive, reigning at the right hand of God the Father, which means He's alive to care for us. He's alive to intercede for us. He's alive to see us along this earthly pilgrimage. He's alive to see us through our troubles and our trials. He's alive to be with us in in our joys and in our praises. He's alive and wants to be part of everything that we do. And lastly, Paul, which is really what Paul is doing here, Uh, He spends a lot of time uh, developing uh, in chapter 15 that the resurrection of Jesus lastly proves and shows our own resurrection. It shows our own resurrection. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the first one raised from the dead. And he's going to take all of his people with him. The resurrection of Christ proves our own resurrection. When our lives are expired and we give up and breathe our last, we have hope that one day we're going to be united to a resurrection body, which is what so much of chapter 15 is about and concerns itself with, is that resurrection body. Do you think about that? Do you meditate on that? Do you have any doubts about it? We all have doubts from time to time, don't we? What do we do when we have doubts? Look to the resurrection. You see the significance of it? When someone says, well, what's the significance of the resurrection? Well, it's everything. It it proves that Jesus is who he says he is. You've got doubts about that? Look to the resurrection. It proves that it's finished, doesn't it? It proves that he's alive. And it proves that one day we will be in these glorious bodies. We don't really know much about them. We don't know much about Jesus' uh, glorified body. Not a whole lot is said about it in the scriptures. But one day... If you're in Christ you're going to see him in that glorified body. It's wonderful, isn't it? Can you suffer through more lyrics? I got another song. It's entitled The Resurrection. The resurrection, it proves that you are who you claim. The one from which we all came. It proves all that you said, I and the Father are one before Abraham was, I am. It proves that our sins are forgiven. You stood in the sinner's place. Death cannot imprison. That perfect life has been raised, never to be hidden. The chorus goes like this. The resurrection, the grave cannot keep. The master of all, God's redeemed. It proves that we will be raised, those who trust you. Great things await the day. With a body new, we will be clothed. Free of imperfection, we are loved. It proves that you're alive, it proves that you're alive. You're raised, you're alive. No dead savior could save, nor could he revive dead sinners who cannot hear or see with their eyes. The resurrection is everything, isn't it? The gospel is of first importance. And we need to emphasize that resurrection in our gospel presentations. And we need to emphasize that resurrection in our own hearts as we think about and as we come to terms with what Jesus has done. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for this celebration of the resurrection. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that, Lord, you uh, would be pleased, O Lord, to uh, apply this to our hearts this day. And teach us the deep things, O Lord, of what the resurrection is all about. Teach us the deep things, O Lord, of, of what the gospel is all about. And we pray, O Lord, that as we go forth from this place, we would be transformed in the power of the gospel. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.